You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. This is a regular podcast series for HR practitioners, employment lawyers, and in-house counsel, focusing on the legal issues relevant to all companies with employees in Ireland. Hello, and welcome to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast series. Today, we want to look at a recent decision of the Irish Workplace Relations Commission, the case of Flynn and Ian Road Aaron. And this case deals with what seems like a fairly straightforward query. What does an employer do with an employee who doesn't turn up to work because he has just started a four-year prison sentence? As we'll see, the case is a bit more complex than it actually sounds. Plus, there's a number of principles in here that we can apply to more mundane scenarios. But before we get to any of that, let's have a look at what else has been happening in the employment law world. As it happens, there's quite a lot going on right now. As a start, on the 1st of December, Irish employers will begin to release their gender pay gap data for the first time ever. Those of you familiar with this legislation will know employers were required to pick a snapshot date from last June and have six months from that point to release their data, which means over the course of December, all employers in Ireland with more than 250 employees will be releasing their gender pay gap data. So it's going to make for an interesting period of comparison as each of those results come out. What we know from talking to clients at the moment on this is that most of them have actually finished the work on the calculations and the data itself. They're now focusing on the narrative and how to contextualize all of the information coming out of this. So it's one to watch. Secondly, on the 1st of January next year, the protected disclosure amending legislation will also come into effect. We've looked at this before, but the main development under this change is that the level of protection available to whistleblowers will be extended. There'll also be certain rules employers now have to follow in engaging with a whistleblower where somebody does raise a protected disclosure. Plus, employers with 50 employees or more will now have to have an official whistleblowing policy in place, though I think in practice most already do. Third development that's happening over the same period is that again on the 1st of January, the new statutory sick pay legislation will come into effect. The basic requirement here is that employees will now have a minimum entitlement of three days sick pay per year, giving them an entitlement of 70% of the normal wages up to a cap of €110 per day. Given the way the market for talent has gone over recent years, most employers are already paying a fairly generous level of sick pay, so I'm not sure this will have such a big impact on employers nationally. Then finally, those of you who have been watching the Right to Request Remote Working legislation will know that the government has decided not to go ahead with a standalone piece of legislation on this idea, but instead to roll the concept into the proposed work-life balance bill, which will also be coming out at some point next year. On the right to request remote working itself, we don't really know how far this will go just yet. We do know it is going to be a lot less qualified than it was in the original outline that was released last year, and will make it a little bit more balanced for employees. As always, we'll keep you updated on these changes. You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. So let's turn now to the main case review for today. That's Flynn and Ian Road Aaron. Mr. Flynn was an electrician who was engaged with Ian Road Aaron in 2008 and worked there up until March 2020. In September 2017, he was involved in a road traffic accident 
And following the accident, he was charged with driving over the legal alcohol limit and also causing damage by dangerous driving. He informed his employer of the charges and the likelihood that he would receive a custodial sentence. And soon after, he was removed from all driving duties. However, in the intervening period between the charges being brought against him and the case, he remained in his role and didn't face any sort of internal disciplinary process within Ian Modern. In October 19, he was eventually sentenced and was given a four-year prison term with the remaining 30 months suspended. So at a minimum, he was looking at somewhere between 12 and 18 months prison time. Four months later, on the 8th of March 2020, when the rest of us were fighting our way through supermarket queues for the last remaining toilet roll and hand sanitizer as COVID began to take its grip, Mr. Flynn received a letter from Ian Rodairn in prison. The letter notified him that his contract had been terminated by reason of frustration and it would end on the 25th of March. Now, we'll talk about frustration in a little bit more detail later on, but as a simple concept to understand the context of this case, frustration is a legal principle whereby two parties to a contract can be discharged of their obligations as a result of an unforeseen or independent event that the contract had not provided for, but which makes the contract incapable of being performed. So to give you a practical example, if I agree to buy my neighbour's car, and the night before we are due to exchange, the car is stolen and can't be recovered, well then clearly my neighbour can't be expected to sell me the car and I can't be expected to pay him the money. So in that scenario, the contract is deemed to be frustrated in that it's impossible to proceed with it due to an unforeseen event. Mr Flynn brought a claim of unfair dismissal against Ian Rodairn in respect of the dismissal. He argued that the contract had not been frustrated, but instead his employer had unfairly dismissed him. In his assessment, if the frustration event was the point at which he had been sentenced to time in prison, well then how did Ian Rodairn reconcile the fact that they continued the contract for four months after that point? He also argued that the employer had made no effort whatsoever to consult or engage with him in regard to the fact that they were about to take this position. He simply received the letter out of the blue in March 2020. Finally, Mr Flynn made the point that there was no other evidence that the employer had given consideration to the impact his absence had on the organisation. In other words, they operated just fine without him, so why was it necessary to deem his role to have been frustrated? Ian Roderan's case was perhaps predictable enough as well. They explained that it was necessary for them to consider the position on his continued employment as soon as he went to prison, and that the custodial sentence effectively resulted in the contract being frustrated. The way they saw it was, he hadn't been dismissed or terminated by the employer, but instead the contract was frustrated. Because in their view, where an employee goes to prison, the employee clearly can't attend work anymore, and therefore the contract must necessarily or logically be frustrated. So the way they saw the position was that there was no dismissal and without a dismissal, there can't be an unfair dismissal claim. The adjudication officer in starting his decision opened with a reference to what exactly frustration is and took a quote from a leading employment law text by Des Ryan. He explained that a contract of employment is terminated by frustration where the performance of the contract becomes impossible to perform due to unforeseen events outside the control of either party. And in such circumstances, the contract is then terminated by operation of law, as opposed to terminated by either party. So applying that definition to the facts and the evidence that had been provided, the adjudication officer started with the fact that 
the contract wasn't deemed to be frustrated by Ian Roderan until four months after the event. The way the adjudication officer saw it was that if the imprisonment was the frustration event, well then surely the date of frustration was the date of imprisonment, not four months later, especially in circumstances where the employer was already aware that Mr Flynn had been sentenced to time in prison. It's not like they hadn't noticed he was gone. So that was the first point. The adjudication officer then also latched on to the concept of notice here. He made the point that the contract had been allowed to continue for some time post a frustration event and then the employer had looked to terminate it on notice. Again, if the contract had been frustrated in October 2019 when he went to prison, when then surely there was no need for notice. Notice is a mechanism by which you terminate an existing contract. And if the contract no longer existed, why would you need to terminate it on notice? If anything, the adjudication officer felt that the issuing of notice indicated that the employer inherently accepted itself, that the contract had continued. He also drew out the principle from some earlier case law that a custodial sentence does not automatically frustrate a contract of employment, a point which Ian Roderan accepted from the outset as well. And this is something you see coming up in a lot of the case law. A lot of the case law focuses on the fact that the employee must be gone for a certain period of time. So it's certainly not something an employer can rely upon automatically. And then finally, he drew out some additional principles from various other cases that had come up on this issue over the years. He referred to a 1974 UK case of Hare and Murphy Brothers, where the judge in that case had required that the employer give consideration to factors such as the employee's length of service, the position that they held, the period of absence that they would be gone for and the impact it had on the employer, and also the consequent need as to whether they really had to replace him. And then finally, he referred to an EAT decision of Donegal County Council in Langan from 1989 before the then Employment Appeals Tribunal, where an employer had lost a very similar case on the basis that it had failed to consult or engage with the employee, and that was deemed to render it an unfair dismissal. So drawing all of these different principles together, the adjudication officer actually found in favour of the employee on the following basis, that firstly, the employee had kept the employer fully up to date on the case and the sentence, so none of this was a surprise to Ian Roderan. Secondly, the employer had made no effort whatsoever to consult or engage with the employee on the issue. As I say, the letter came out of the blue, dismissing him. Thirdly, there was no evidence provided at all by the employer that it had considered any of the relevant factors identified in the other cases. And then finally, the employer had clearly allowed the contract to continue for some months after the frustration event and on top of that compounded the problem by issuing notice to terminate the contract. So for all of those reasons, the adjudication officer found that the contract had not been frustrated, but instead that Mr Flynn had been unfairly dismissed by his employer. Now, as a headline, it certainly does grab your attention, the idea that an employee can be sentenced to four years' time in prison for drunk driving, and then, as a result of his inability to come to work, would win a claim for unfair dismissal. But the judgment in this case, or rather the award that was granted to Mr Flynn, does bring some element of common sense back into it. The adjudication officer, in explaining the award, referred to a similar case, electrician versus a transport provider, in which, on almost identical circumstances, the tribunal had reduced the award by 85% to reflect the employee's own contribution 
to the dismissal and the fact that the dismissal wouldn't have happened but for the employee's own conduct. And so applying that principle equally here, an award of €4,000 was granted to Mr Flynn. Now, while he did win and he did receive an award of compensation, I think in any litigation, an award of €4,000 is probably not going to be considered a win for Mr Flynn. Overall, it's an unusual case, but as I say, in practice, this scenario does come up more often than you might expect. But the question again for you as employers is what does it mean for you and what can you learn from it? Well, there's a number of principles we can take from this that you can apply if you do ever find yourself in this or indeed a comparable situation. Firstly, a custodial sentence of itself does not immediately terminate the contract. As with so many other scenarios in Irish employment law, the employer must follow a process. Secondly, the employer must act on it quickly. And you can see how in the facts in this case, the fact that Arian wrote Aaron waited four months before they did anything clearly went against it. Thirdly, issuing notice will harm the legal position if you are trying to claim frustration. And this is an interesting point because very often in this scenario, employers will want to look reasonable and want to show some element of compassion towards the employee in the circumstances. And they will usually look to issue notice. But actually, by issuing notice, while you might look reasonable, it actually goes against you in the legal position you're looking to take. Fourthly, the employer must be able to show visible evidence of the factors being considered. And that can be emails between the relevant managers discussing the relevant factors, or it can be a note of a meeting, whatever it may take. And then finally, the employer has to be able to show that it consulted with the employee on the issue. Now, the obvious practical question here is, how do you consult with somebody in prison? You can't hold a disciplinary hearing with somebody who is unavailable because they're serving a custodial sentence. But I think the obvious solution would be you at least try and engage with the employee in correspondence. And that is what we've seen in the past, that employers should at least try and do this. If the employee refuses to engage, then the employer probably has to at least give them a second chance to do so. But a point will come where as long as the employer has taken sufficient steps to try and engage with the employee, it will have been able to address this requirement. One other scenario where the doctrine of frustration can be very useful and which we do see coming up in practice even more frequently, but clearly a very different comparison situation, would be where an employer has an employee on a work permit that it suddenly realises has expired. In that scenario, it will be a criminal offence for the employer to employ somebody who doesn't have a lawful immigration status. And often the employer has to address this situation quite quickly. We would advise in that scenario that the best approach would be to treat the contract as being frustrated. But a lot of the principles that apply here in this very different factual scenario will actually apply equally in that you will need to be seen to engage with the employee and you need to act in accordance with the contract being frustrated, namely not issuing notice. Overall, as I say, it is an unusual case, but it is one that comes up more often than you would think. So that's everything for this month's podcast recording. In our next podcast, we will be looking at some of the key themes ahead for employers in 2023. We look forward to talking to you all then. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email brian, that's B-R-Y-A-N dot done at matheson.com. This podcast contains general information about Irish law. It is not intended to provide legal advice on any particular matter and is for general information purposes only. 
You should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice. Tune in next time for another Matheson Employment Law podcast. For further information, visit matheson.com.